You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Ben, why should anybody listen to Blockbuster Mentality? I mean, seriously, why should any of these people that we've interrupted while they're listening to their favorite podcast check us out or even turn off this show and go straight to our show? That's a great question, Dave. People should listen to us because we point out the most important details of movies and television. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the really important stuff like Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru in Star Wars. What exactly are their living quarters underground? But it's not just that, Ben. We produce high quality audio that is exactly right Dave because we will have my daughter interrupt us on every single episode <laughs> and we have an amazing stars in popcorn rating system we measure on quality and entertainment value listen to blockbuster mentality every Monday on all major podcast platforms and connect with us on Twitter at blockbustercast. so grab some popcorn grab some snacks we'll catch you guys at the movies Thank you for listening to another episode of Imagine If. Just know that this episode was recorded live at FanQuest Comics and Games in Yuma, Arizona, and we had a little bit of audio problems. So if you can get through that, you can still listen to the great conversation that we had with fans of the X-Men comics. Please enjoy. What if you found a portal to a parallel universe? What if you could slide into a thousand different worlds? where it's the same year, and you're the same person, but everything else is different. And what if you can't find your way home? Welcome to another issue of Imagine If on Geekly Media. We are once again doing a roundtable from FanQuest Comics and Games about the X-Men. Isn't that right, Chris? Yes, we're going to do a deep dive. We're going to talk about all the things we like that are all things X-Men. We're going to try to talk about some of the new current storylines, some of the things that will please us when it comes to X-Men, both in terms of comics, movies, and television, even video games, and action figures, and all that fun stuff. And Rothman is also here. We're going to talk about his love for the X-Men and where we're at right now in Matt Rosen- Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I mean, the beauty of this is X-Men comic books, comic books in general, this is just kind of a way for people to kind of come together and look at what kind of shenanigans are the X-Men up to this time. And by God, are there shenanigans. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And joining us for this roundtable today is Sam Cervantes. Hello. And also Mike Shelton. Pleasure to be here. Both recent and frequent guests to our roundtables. Uh... I hope everybody has uh, en- enjoyed what it is that they're going to be talking about. Are you going to talk to? Sure. Okay. So someone just passed the mic over. Oh, okay. Go ahead and int- introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Mark Nakagal. I guess I'm just sitting in. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, man. So am I. <laughs> That's part of the fun of it. It's kind of like... Wherever you're at in the comic book, it's really a matter of, you know, as the discussion gets going, if at any time you feel like you want to contribute to the conversation, maybe you have a funny aside, that's part of it. Because the whole purpose of this is, you know, to share that love, whatever it might be. Because, again, some people are more novice with some of this information. Some people only have certain knowledge about it, and that's okay. The whole purpose of these roundtables is to really kind of be like an entry-level 
uh, gateway to kind of talk about some of these concepts because comic books is pop culture nowadays, but comic books have not always been that way. And it's kind of like whatever you find out of it, we want to kind of validate that. Yeah, yeah, because it's funny because back in the day, comic books, you know, it was like a secret little thing. And nowadays with them taking over Hollywood, it's like, oh, man, you got people lining up to learn more about this stuff. So that's what we want to do. We want to share the love of comic books and everything that's involved. And today we're just going to focus on the X-Men. Right. And talking about the X-Men, I mean, good God, what a past couple of months it has been. Yes. Um, I can speak for myself when I say that I am very, very excited for this current year. We have gotten some intense, insane X-Men stories, whether it is Rosenberg's run or whether it is the newly acquainted Hickman as he comes in and brings the X-Men into a whole new age. Believe the hype. This is ultimately bringing up something that's going to be amazing. Um, looking at this, you guys, what are some of your entry points with the X-Men? What do you, what do you know about the X-Men currently? Well, I just started reading... It was it Age of X Man Omega? Right, right. Yeah. And because um, last time we did a roundtable, we all had discussed that afterwards. And I was like, "Yeah, I, I, I want to read them." That's pretty much my entry level entry. Um, I'm sorry, my entry level to the comics. Uh, before that, it's the movies. You know, um, I mean, I'd seen plenty of uh, advertisements for the comic, um, the comics, and the the cartoons. Just never got into them. Um, I. Don't even remember when they started making X Men cartoons, and I don't remember. So, I mean, if you tell me when that was, I can tell you where I was. You know, if it was '90s, I was on active duty. If it was before that, <laughs> right. I was in right. high school. You know, um, but uh, it's definitely opened my eyes to the fact that it's a worldwide phenomenon, and there are just so many fans, um, and it's exciting to see where my uh, how far down the rabbit hole I'm going to go. Okay. And what, what a controversy the X-Men are. I don't want to say that in just the sense of, you know, where they're at currently like in the comic books, but my God, the self-sabotage from Marvel itself to destroy the X-Men a couple of years ago with the Inhumans project, uh, Disney coming in and buying Marvel, and now all of a sudden the X-Men back up to snuff with where we're going into the future, especially with a high-profile writer like Hickman. But even before that, I mean, I mean, for me personally, I remember X-Men coming out, I think I was like 10 or 11 years old, mm -hmm. and I was like one of the first movies I wanted to go see in the theater. It was nuts, because I remember being at home, and by that time I didn't really go do things. I think I'd seen one or two movies in the theater here in town, and then my aunt comes over to drop off her, her son, who's much younger, and they're like, oh, we're going to go see X-Men. You want to come? And I'm like, like a little kid in a candy store. I'm like, yeah, I want to go see and I remember seeing the X-Men. I remember having a good time. That was my first exposure to X-Men. Yeah. And, I mean, nowadays when you want to compare, you know, people always say, oh, the MCU, the Marvel Universe films, they're way better. They don't compare. But, I mean, even back then, even today, it's like for what we had back then, the X-Men was great. Yeah. And it opened up a lot of avenues for conversations for all kinds of people who would then grow to like the comic books or those who grew up watching the 90s cartoon or those people that were reading the comic books ever since Stanley created them. You know, the X-Men have really, they've always been a good um, rush to the forefront about change because it was interesting, like, if we go back to when the X-Men were first created, they were, you know, just another comic book to put out there and whatnot. And that was actually probably one of the first ones Stanley walked away from because, I mean, the man was, you know, he was editor, he was writer, he was doing all kinds of stuff. So that was one where he walked away from it. Um, and then eventually it, the series kind of petered off. It became a bunch of reprints. But then when Dave Cochran came in, and, you know, obviously with the House of X coming, with Hickman coming, they've been talking about very seminal moments in X-Men history. So with Co uh, David uh, 
Cock- oh my gosh, get Cockrun coming in and um, really revamping the X Men with all new giant size X Men number one. That was huge because he made the team more international. You know, you have Wolverine from Canada, Storm from Africa, Colossus from Russia, and it made it huge. Just that palette, so much more for everybody to be included into the X Men, and it was great. I mean. Yeah, Native American characters, uh, Asian American characters, and some of them weren't even, you know, like like Sunfire. We were talking about him for a second there before we started. I mean, you had characters all over the world. Well, okay, so remembering the movie, the very first X-Men movie, I mean, wh- one of the main themes about that, from what I remember, and then correct me if I'm wrong, was all about inclusion. Was yeah. it not? I mean, that was, that was what Magneto wanted i mean granted he may have done it in a horrible horrible way but well he wanted definitely his side to be included because that's what i love about like what i think is really a neat twist with the x-men is it's not batman and the joker it's not one side is really like you know good and then one side is chaos exactly with the x-men it's like both magneto and xavier want the mutants to have a place yes but xavier hopes for you know and integration with everybody. Oh, Meanwhile, Magneto is like, no, dude, I don't care. I'm taking it all for yeah. myself, you know. So it is pretty wild. But, yeah, no, you're right. The movie was definitely preaching those tones where it's like, hey, this is, you know, if we come together, can you imagine what we can do, yeah. you know. And I think that's always been a neat thing of the X-Men, you know. it's, I mean, the X-Men is one of those teams where you'll have a villain on there. And we've seen Mystique running around with the X-Men. We've seen Magneto be the leader of the X-Men. It's huge. It's like, wow, this is really cool. They don't just take somebody and, you know, you're a dime store villain and then they throw them away, you know. But uh, going back to that, though, with, with uh, the, the all-new Giant Size X-Men, that was a huge changing point. Um, I would say even then leading up into the 80s, they were definitely getting great. You had Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri, and several other artists on there that were doing some cutting-edge art. And then when the 90s came, when they, when they made that X-Men number one relaunch with Claremont and Jim Lee, that was huge. I mean, I don't even I don't know if some of you guys remember that, but in the comic books of the '90s, you'd see ads where they were selling X-Men clothes. Like they'd have shirts with the yeah. X-Men on there, and like yeah. they were, oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah it was huge. Like they were some. not not in those, but in some of the other comics. Yeah, that I read. yeah, they'd have it there, and and it was crazy. And I mean, X-Men number one, I think to this day is still the all-time highest-selling comic book. And, I mean, we're talking that beating out the death of Superman, which was a huge event of itself. Oh, man. But X-Men number one. I remember one. that coming out, and I remember that being one of those big things. Oh, yeah. Advertisements for it, too. Like, it looked ominous. It's like, you're not ready for X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what? what? Am I? <laughs> <laughs> Should I ask my parents? I don't know what to do here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> this was, yeah, it was huge. And then, I mean, it just became such a juggernaut unto itself. And then, yeah, they did the, the animated series of the 90s. And I think that one actually came out before Spider-Man the Animated Series and maybe just right after Batman the Animated Series but that was a huge moment and that is when really I think a lot more people came to the X-Men. One thing about the X-Men X-Men has always been a complicated storyline. You mentioned the villains of Magneto particularly I think more so in the movies than in the early comics anyway. is, Is Magneto bad? Is he good? Or does he just see life a little bit differently from Professor X? Right. I mean, he's he's actually comes off as a more real politique. Yeah. yeah. But he wants his people to be on top when it's when it's all over. And the complexity of X Men, of course, begins when, of course, the the school for the gifted is established. They want to be where they will be accepted. And of course, the whole thing is a symbolism for being in society. And not being accepted because you are different. Yeah. You are perceived as a part. 
you know, this is us and, and this is you. I mean, Wolverine feels this. Jean Grey feels this. They all feel it one way or the other. And uh, in a more modern context, more the, the lesbian gay thing is, is, is part of the scene as opposed to uh, uh, a super intellect like the Beast or, or something like that. So it's it's always been a pretty complicated thing, and that's because in tow with all the Marvel characters, one way or the other. But they have their own niche, and it's a a niche. As a rule, I think they've stayed close to, but other times they they seem to drift away and become more of a common thing. And that's the cool thing about the X Men. It's the fact that they are against the the status quo you know they are against the establishment and whether you look at it as you know i'm just reading this because it's superheroes but i like the way they look and they dress but really you put it perfectly you know it's that complexity it's a political issue when you're really looking at the x-men x-men is politics a lot of the times it can be some people they don't like the politics they just look at it as these super powered people coming in to save the day but at the same time other people can look at it as okay magneto is he truly evil are things black and white or are things kind of in that gray area and those get explored a lot in the comic books. And the movies. And in the movies as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's, it's interesting because, too, I, I, I have a strong appreciation for Magneto, the character, because when you look at him, he isn't, you know, I mean, Claremont really did a lot to expand on the origins of Magneto. Um, but, I mean, here's a guy who lived in the actual concentration camps of Nazi Germany. That's huge, yeah. you know, like that. That would he'd understand why it's coming. He tried integration, and you know, it didn't work because in the end, he had to hide who he was. And then when his family did suffer, you know, I think it was the fire, and he used his magnetism to help. And then you know, everybody lashed out at him. And it's like, wow, it really makes sense why he is the way he is. Because you're right when you talk about the upbringing of Xavier and the upbringing of Magneto. They're too different. Even in the comics and the movies, the way they've done mm-hmm. both those, it's like Xavier's only been the guy who grew up in a mansion and for the most part looks normal, you know? And it's like until he finally, you know, starts meeting other mutants, then he starts to understand that there is more of a struggle. Yeah, plus Xavier, know? his whole M.O. is protection. He wants to protect his, his, his young charges from the onslaught of the world. If right. they don't know how to control their powers... They'll bring destruction unto themselves. So he's going to teach them how to be themselves, how to you know, mask their powers when they need to, and and how to operate in the world. Magneto is not interested in protection as much as domination. He wants to make sure that whoever is aligned with him, when they see he is in charge, and Professor Xavier is not the control freak, uh, Magneto is, um, but Mag- Magneto ultimately does not want to coexist as equals. He wants to, well, we're going to coexist. Just realize I'm on the top of the food chain. Right. And it makes sense, you know, from that perspective with what he's been through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like depending on, because again, that's the other problem with, with comic books, it's the writers. One person will come in with really good ideas and they'll kind of flesh out these characters. And then the new status quo comes in. And now this character that you've really enjoyed all of a sudden comes off as this crazy Machiavellian villain. Um, especially when they had to do that with, um, with Morrison's new X-Men run, right? Yeah, yeah. They ultimately showcased that Magneto was the bad guy the whole time. And he went crazy and he killed so many people in New York. And ultimately, they had to retcon that because, yeah, the movie had come out and they wanted people to, like, be at least okay with Magneto. But when you do such a heinous crime, there's no coming back from that. So then they they retconned it and they said it was Zorn or something. Yeah, and plus with that happening, 
that actually, like, to put us in, in perspective of where we were at the time of the world, September 11th had just happened. And you can't put out, I mean, here's September 11th happens, and then a few months later, now we show Magneto destroying New York again. And it's yeah. like, you know, you could definitely tell the Marvel offices, like, oh, how did we let that one get by? Okay, we're going to do some crazy stuff here. And they really did retcon a lot of Morrison's ending of his run because Morrison, at the time when he took over the X-Men books, that was just right after the launch of the first X-Men film, which was, what, 2000, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, I mean, Morrison came in and... It was funny, at the time I was reading the X-Men books and you had you just had your, your main two, Uncanny X-Men and then X-Men. And uh, they had Scott Lobdell come back in and he finished off a lot of the plot lines from the 90s. And, you know, and it's funny because when you read that and the way it ends, and it's the same thing, it's the big showdown with Magneto. And, you know, Magneto's like, no, Genosha will be ours and we're going to be doing all this and this is how it's going to be. And then the X-Men are like, no, freedom, freedom to choose. You know, if we're going to be hated, but we're hated because people have freedom, not because we forced them. And, you know, of course, good triumphs over evil. They all, you know, grab hands and grab a beer and it's great. That's how it ends. Then, bam. Here comes Graham, our Graham Morrison's run. And it was funny because they, there's like a big theme of the X-Men 2 is relationships. And, of course, the big one's the triangle with Scott, Gene, and Wolverine. And that had been resolved. You know, that had definitely been resolved. Uh, Claremont's run did a good job of playing with that. Ultimately, you know, it, it, it led to the wedding of Scott and Gene. But with the movies coming in, this was going to be new ground for all those viewers. So it's kind of like, all right, let's bring back some of these themes. So it was interesting to see what had worked in the past coming back and, and being brought to the forefront again. You had to do that, though, I think, because there's some people that are going to watch the movies and not read the comics, so they're, they're, they're not going to get that unless... It's brought out in the movies. Oh, no, you, you yeah. do have to showcase it. And, yeah. and that's one of the things that I've always found interesting. And, and it's interesting, too, because Hickman, the guy who is writing X-Men as of right now, this last Wednesday, they had House of X drop. And that's the big new X-Men book. And he is setting all the status quo and everything. So everything we've read, maybe it helps you. Maybe it doesn't. Like, if you're a brand new fan and you're going to ask yourself, where should I start? Start with House of X. This Wednesday, we also have Powers of X, which is going to be the complimentary book to that. So the two are going to banter off of each Rob other. Rob excited. I'm so excited. Oh, we all are. I mean, this is, like, if you read House of X, this brand new issue, like, it, it sets it up that these little Krakoa seeds have been laid out. And Krakoa, the history of Krakoa, it goes all the way back to Giant Size X-Men number one. And the original team, Cyclops, Beast, Iceman, Angel, Gene, and they had Havoc and Polaris, they go out to investigate this giant mutant that's out there. So they land on the island of Krakoa, and they're like, okay, what's going on? Turns out the mutant is the island. So it takes all of them and it sends Cyclops back because it's going to eat the mutants for their powers, their energies. So it sends Cyclops to retrieve more. At the time, he doesn't know that. Xavier doesn't know that. So that's when they gather the quote-unquote international team. So uh, Colossus, Nightcrawler, Storm, Wolverine, Banshee, Sunfire, uh, Thunderbird. Nature Girl? No. She she's, she's Yeah, okay. way, way later. Okay. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I think that's all the new X-Men. So they come in, they team up with the old team, and you know they, they manage to fight off Krakoa. They, they send Krakoa off into space and, and all that. But now Krakoa's back, and Krakoa's back, has been back for at least like probably close to 10 years, I think, yeah, there's part of the Gene Ray elements of him, the living, yeah. living island. Yeah, so, but now it's, there's like little portals. So you can go to certain areas, and you can, if you're a mutant, you can go. Go anywhere you like. If you're a human, you have to be escorted with a mutant, and you have to ask permission. So these are some interesting groundworks that he's laying. And what I really like, one thing that was interesting, because Xavier, it's funny because at the start of this story, you can definitely see Xavier's the good guy, Magneto's the bad guy. 
but they've written these stories so well and so intricate. I feel Xavier's the bad guy nowadays because he is. He's mm. he's gotten too controlling to the point where mm. even in the original run and like the '60s stuff, he killed himself, quote unquote. Like I mean, he didn't commit suicide. He just he died in battle, and then later on he comes back and he's like, "Oh well, I had to work on something." And it's like, why couldn't you just tell your students, "Hey, I'm going to be in the basement working on something"? Instead, no, you had to make them feel like he died and all these crazy things. I mean, he's very much this this character that it's, it's so that they can build character. Yeah, well, build something. He want well, anybody I mean, looking for him? Maybe go ahead. Oh, you don't feel that maybe this was something they watched to the backpedal? Because that's what that sounds like. You know, we wanted to have like the death of Superman or death of whoever, we're going to kill Charles Xavier, who was a great figure to get sales up, and then we kill him off, and then we're like, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Oh, no, I agree with you. The first one... I know, when they killed off the Joker way back when, in the 40s, they backpedaled that story. Oh, yeah, his first appearance. Because he was a great character. Not just... So that just seems to be like, maybe he's, he's always been the plot hole. Oh, yeah, no, I would definitely say in his first death, I agree with you 100% right there. But then everything since then, it's kind of like, well, the groundwork's there for the president, so now it's no longer him backpedaling. It's part of his, his, you know, his machinations for what he's trying to do. Because right now, Xavier died during the event AVX, Avengers versus X-Men, which, going back to what Rafa was mentioning, that was really, it's actually, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe versus Fox. And it was really just the two studios fighting. The X-Men come off, you know, really villainous. The Avengers are ultra-heroic. It leads to a point where Cyclops has the power of the Phoenix. Xavier confronts him, and they have a big, you know, psionic battle, and ultimately Xavier dies. Charles Soule, this is several years later, Charles Soule takes over writing the Astonishing X-Men book, and I think it was either the first 10 or 12 issues, he does a story arc that brings Xavier back. So Xavier's mind survived. He takes over another body... But he hasn't even told his X-Men yet. You know, like he doesn't let them all know that he's alive. And so he does, he plays these little things. But you're right, I would say his first death, it was, it's a great moment to show them going from students to heroes. Because the X-Men have always been labeled as, you know, gifted youngsters, students of, you know, of X and all these things. So when they kill him, it has them grow up. But the backpedaling is like, oh, we lost a really good character. But didn't they do that in X-Men, the movie X-Men 3? Margaret Metaggart has the dead body, not the dead body, the guy in the coma who oh, wakes yeah. up as Charles Xavier. Yeah. Well, no, they, they've played it in the movies, and even then, what did they do with it? Nothing. It just kind of... That's true, because they stopped they, that storyline. Like, oh, well, and we don't even know. To, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's a convoluted thing, but that's, that's one of the crazy things of the X-Men. They do stuff like that. I mean, the comics, we've seen that Xavier... Because one thing I really love that people talk about is how do Xavier and Magneto, how do they still stay at the forefront of all this stuff? Because Xavier, you can slide his origin. Uh, at one point, they had him. I think he was, he was... I believe he was in the Korean War. That's when him and Juggernaut found the, the Gem of Sidorak. So then the Juggernaut was created. Xavier's obviously, sorry, Magneto's very dated in World War II with being, you know, in the concentration camps. And they always have him obviously get younger each time. Like I think the first time we saw he may have been, you know, 16 years old. Then they'll probably put it to the point where he was like six years old. That way you buy him more time. But they've done that. They've had Xavier die thanks to the Shi'ar out in outer space. They give him a new clone body so then he can stay younger and things like that. Which is great because it's comic books. I love that stuff. I think that's what you can still keep their story great grounded and keep those those mythos but then expand into the future stuff yeah and the beauty of comics yeah being that yeah yeah but times they just abandoned it all otherwise uh, samuel l jackson would not be nick fury 
<laughs> oh no, that's true. Yeah, they'll they'll change up a lot of stuff. I mean, they'll just they'll just warp it all, and yeah. uh, to, to do something else. Of course, if Nick Fury, the Nick Fury, was still up and running, he would have uh, he'd have to have a form of Viagra to keep himself going. Let's just put it that way. Uh, that's the, the infinity formula, as they call it. Formula. Yes. Ultimately, yeah. but when you really break down the X Men, depending what story you're in. When you really, really break it down to its core, yes, it's a story of gifted youngsters, but then over the years it has shifted into a military-esque group of individuals who are just trying to survive. Throughout the years, lots of things have happened for the X-Men, but it's always been the tagline, right? Fear, feared, hated, and saving the world. Because at the end of the day, the X-Men, they are a team of mutants that are ambassadors to who the mutant race are, but they're the best of who they can be. Whereas this world, when we're talking about comic books, already has superheroes built in, who are adored. We have the Avengers that people love. But for some reason, the X-Men are always put in the, in, the, in the sentence of, oh, they are mutants, this is bad. And again, build on to the, that whole idea of against the establishment and kind of that idea of the systemic oppression that they kind of go through. Throughout the years, at the end of the day, the story has always been what new thing can we put in front of the X-Men that's going to kill off a vast majority of their numbers? That ultimately ended with the House of M, which caused all of the mutants, the majority of the mutants, to lose their powers. And then now the mutants, from there on, were stuck in this devastating decimation event where Cyclops had to step up and become the leader to not not, not, not necessarily make mutants have a better face in the public eye, but now it changed. Now he had to keep his species alive. And since then, things have changed. The X-Men have returned. Mutants have returned to their their full glory. But again, going back with that idea of Disney versus Fox and the whole rights idea, it's been building to the sense where it's been like this losing battle for the X-Men for the past like 10, 20 years. And they're always losing. And now Hickman has brought in this idea, right? So when everyone's talking about Jonathan Hickman coming to the X-Men with House of X, Powers of X... The internet is a buzz. People are excited. People are ready to talk about, oh my God, let's see what this first issue is. The hype has been real. Right before Hickman, we had uh, Matthew Rosenberg's Uncanny, which we talked about last time. But with this, it also kind of goes into the idea of, so what is he leading us to? And overall, the internet has been a buzz. They have loved the first issue of House of X. Yeah, I can't really find in and- a lot of people talking anything bad about it. People have loved it so far. And we'll get into that. There's a just to, just to plug this one. There's a website called the Xavier Files. I'd recommend check it out. They did an annotation of House of X, like I mean, literally panel by panel. Like they've gone through and like this is where you'll see this. This is what this is, and they're giving their thoughts and opinions. Like it's insane. It's beautiful. I mean, there's so much love for that. Right. And the reason people love it so much also is because again, it's people are finally excited for the X Men to become important again. Because though the X-Men have been going through dire straits, all of Matthew Rosenberg's Uncanny X-Men series, which was what, issues 12, 11? Uh, when, yeah, he wrote it for Solo. He did issues 11 through 22. Okay, so through 11 through 22, through those 10 issues, is that what that uh, is? About uh, 12, 12, I about think. 12 issues, right? Yeah. Ultimately, what's happening is we're getting the story of Cyclops is back, Wolverine is back. They've been dead for a while. And they come back to a world where, you know, there's a new mutant drug in order to get rid of the mutant gene. The majority of the X-Men are gone. Off to, to Neverland. To the Age of X, To the man. Age of X doing their thing. So it's crazy because if you are a Cyclops fan or if not, this is a character who has had the burden of the entire mutant race on his shoulders for the longest time. 
and he dies really in a stance where he did some questionable things to really bring out like was he really a heroic character and many people would argue no but he did what he had to do to keep his species alive and he was okay with that because on his dying bed as long as the mutants are in a better place when i'm gone it would have all been worth it he comes back nothing is better things are worse and he can't find his team. And so Rosenberg does a really good job of really setting up that that philosophy and that tension of when are things going to get better for the X-Men? This is really where, where I thought before a lot of old stories where I thought he really, where the developers and the people really put the X-Men through the ringer, this was something new, right? Because Cyclops comes back and he's trying to assemble whichever mutants are around to fight again and to, to do the best that they can to kind of see where their end is. Because if they're going to go out, they're going to go out in a blaze of glory. That's the whole idea. And the series is really good because it has humor. It has great art. It builds a lot of great things. And at the end of the day, my favorite thing is the fact that with this, Emma Frost is able to finally do the unthinkable. She's able to give the X-Men a happy ending by ultimately making it so people cannot see mutants anymore. They will be invisible to people, and they can go on and live their own lives. And, of course, with comic books, this causes a question, right? Will we still like the X-Men if they're not going through this oppression, if they're not going through these things? And, of course, with comic books, the whole idea is good should ultimately prevail over evil. That's the idea. And so the X-Men are in this forever battle because, as we know, in the world, politics and everything, there's never anything so cut and dry, and there's never a clear distinction of winners and losers. History has a way of repeating itself and doing new things. So in the end of it, Emma has given the X-Men this out. The old X-Men come back, everyone is still around, and the X-Men decide that they don't want to live in this world that's a lie and that they want to come out and showcase that they're still around. And it ends with this beautiful shot where ultimately Cyclops says, you know, we have always been at war and we will continue to be so. And it's a great ending because, again, it's for me personally, it's one of those ends that showcases why I love the X-Men. It's one of those things where they are going against the status quo, whatever it is, whether it's the Avengers, people's own opinions about the mutants, whatever it is. But they're always going to fight. They're never going to lay down and die. And there is something really heroic about that. That's why people like it. And so that's where we were left off. And so people were like, okay, whereas people were very, very uh, angry about Rosenberg's run for a while there, most people now were like, okay, all of the unnecessary deaths that happened into the issues are now have some clarity and there was a reason for it. And then this brings in the new age of Hickman. And Hickman is giving us something completely new because now the X-Men are not taking anybody's crap anymore. Yeah, like I, what, I, what I really found interesting, uh, just... Jumping back a second, so I know Sam was reading that Age of X-Men stuff, and like I had stated last time when we talked at our roundtable, I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to jump into it. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, a couple years back, they did this whole uh, Age of Apocalypse, mm-hmm. and so they had it that, what if it was Xavier, or what if Xavier had died in the past, and Magneto formed the X-Men, and we see the world is more militant and just apocalyptic, you know, and Apocalypse has risen to power and everything has changed. And I found it interesting because Bishop was a character who recognized right off the bat, this is not the way it should be. And so ultimately he goes to the X-Men and, you know, he gets them to remember who they are. And one of the themes, because as I was listening to Rafa right now, it made me think about that, that old adage, you know, give me liberty or give me death. Because that's, that's, I think that's one of the big things about the X-Men. Like, you can relate it to Star Wars, you know, the rebels. That's what we like. We like those forces that don't just stick to conformity. You know, we don't follow blindly. We, we go into the fight for what is right. 
Right, the Oscar-nominated film, Dodgeball, an underdog story. That's what we want. <laughs> yeah. Underdogs. Yeah. You want those underdogs. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, so uh, once again, now we flash forward. Now we're in the age of X-Man. And X-Man is a character who was birthed in that age of apocalypse. He's supposed to be the son of Scott and Jean. And he, he managed to leap from that world into the Marvel 616. So he's there. And um, he finally, he does the same thing. Because I didn't, I didn't really read the story. I finally, I read the conclusion. And I like that because it really did... It dovetailed very nicely with Rosenberg's run because everybody on the X-Man world, they've been living in paradise. They're finally in a world where it's like, we aren't hated and persecuted because of mutinism. We're hated and persecuted because of how we may act. I step on your toe, you dislike it. That's the beef. And that's really, you know, that's that's heaven for what they're looking for. And relationships was a big theme in that one, I noticed. Yeah, and I found that funny. So and maybe... That's why, that's why I want to finish reading the rest of the other series, because I read Alpha and Omega, but I, you know, I know there's... Yeah, you got to catch the inner parts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I got to catch... Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I'm curious why that is, because here's Cause something... Bishop got tagged in, 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 in Alpha and sent away, but... Gene Grey did Gene, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm curious, because I wonder if... For the phrase, lack of a better phrase, but like X-Man is a test tube baby. You know, they took the DNA of Scott Summers and Jean Grey from the Age of Apocalypse and they birthed X-Man. So maybe that's why he's like, that's just, he doesn't want that. I don't know. You know, maybe he doesn't want his mom from another world to be, you know, messing around with somebody not Cyclops. You know, who knows? But so anyway, so I thought it was really great because the same thing happens there. You know, X-Man, like everybody's finally regained their memories and X-Man tells him, he says, look, you can stay here on my earth and you can have paradise. Or you can go back to what that world is. And they literally took a panel from Rosenberg's X-Men comic. And it shows Scott and the X-Men, you know, like, all right, here we go. We're going to go after, you know, the Sentinels again. The world hates us. And here we go. And in one of the fissures, right? Yeah, one yeah. of the fissures. And uh, finally it gets to a point where, like, even it was even sad because I think it was Nature Girl. She's like, I want to stay here. Yeah. And, and X-Men tells her, he's like, no, it's all or none. And so it's real interesting because they did kind of get painted in a bad light, that group of X-Men, because they're like, well, this isn't our world. Let's go. But what about all the mutants that were on that world? They're not getting a choice. What about the ones that were created for that world? They're not getting a choice. So ultimately, the X-Men team do go back to 616. A part of Magneto, he splits. So the Magneto we know comes back, but the Magneto of Age of X-Men gets to stay and live in paradise, the paradise that he's always wanted. So I thought it was really neat. Like, I, I, I wasn't as hyped for that miniseries at back of a letter for, you know, letter, just, I can't even say the word Lack right of now. a better Literally, phrase. Lack of a better <laughs> phrase. Um, yeah, I mean, what, you're talking 32 comic books, 32 issues. Yeah. Uh, it'll bind nicely as an omnibus. But I really like that, that, that they get the choice where it's like, would you want paradise but not be you? Or would you rather be you and then suffer all the damnation that may occur? And I think that's really neat. And I love that the X-Men always choose because, you know, it's one of those things like, could you imagine Utopia? Sounds great, right? But then all of a sudden somebody says, hey, man, I don't, you know, I don't like the color red. So none of us are wearing red shirts. We're okay. But tomorrow that could change. Rafa could be like, hey, man, today I, I really want this red shirt. And now all of a sudden you're the outsider to that. And I think that's neat because then it's not Utopia anymore. And that's the struggle. You know, the struggle to get there is exciting. But when you're there, it's not as exciting. But what would happen if you did reach it? And that's why I love with the X-Men books. And then with Hickman, yeah, he's, he's, he's given us utopia, utopia. And it's great because one thing that I, I find really interesting is with Xavier now, because he's kind of like, like Hickman's looking at this on an economical term too. Like yeah. they've, they've taken over the pharmacies uh -huh. and they've got these three pills, right? Isn't it three drugs? Three one drugs. can extend your life for five years more. The second... K is like a really powerful probiotic. It 
can yeah it'll wipe out all disease so you yeah. can take this antibiotic that'll help you out and the third one will um oh gosh i just had it um i don't remember now um the, the 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 longer oh your mind it'll give you mental oh health. yes it'll make sure that you don't get any kind of mental degenerative disease yeah and so that's what's really interesting because can you imagine these wonder drugs if they existed in our real world but now this group of people that have been oppressed and ousted by the world they're the ones in charge of it so they've really got some huge poker chips to play with so if they were hated and feared before this is going to be something wild yeah and now it's kind of like what Hickman does that's so great okay so first and foremost looking at this issue. Hickman's story feels big. Not only does it feel big because, you know, it has a lot of good religious symbolism, which we'll kind of go into in a little bit. Yeah. So the philosophy is there, but the story feels important. So we've talked about how the X-Men, for the most part, for the past 20 years, are always dealing with who's oppressing us today and how are we going to survive, right? The X-Men have always taken people's crap every day, no matter what's been happening, and whether through lack of leadership or something going on, something is happening where the mutants are always in a bad state of affairs. Hickman brings us into a new world where all of a sudden the X-Men are in a position of power. With Krakoa, able to harness Krakoa, the living island, being able to use flowers of Krakoa, they are able to create these gateways, like Chris was talking about. And in these gateways, they have these mutant, like mutant paradise. It's this beautiful, sustaining world where mutants are allowed to live and do their own thing. Humans are not allowed in there. Yeah. And one thing we lost some of the audio right here, but I'm going to take the opportunity to remind you to go to your local comic book store. Ours is FanQuest Comics and Games in Yuma, Arizona. They've been open for 25 plus years and are a staple of this community. So please visit your local comic book store. They are in that position of power, like I just said. But this isn't the first time that they've tried it. This is, I would say, the third attempt, right? When I'm yeah, talking about definitely. creating their own nation. First, we had Magneto. When he had Avalon or Asteroid M, yeah, Asteroid right, M out separatists, space. right? He created. He had this huge. They said Earth was not the way anymore. All of the mutants will get on this asteroid called Avalon, and we will live peacefully and happily together. Their own nation or their own world. It was. It was like a nation, but it was like yeah, their own place. Okay. It was like an asteroid they called Avalon. The peace out of the planet. Okay. Right, but it was a separatist move. It's like we separate. We're over here, right? And then he tried it again with Genosha. When now on Earth, and Genosha was a country where mutants would be allowed to thrive. It was their peace. Well, they took that one heartfelt. Um, there's a great story. It's called, um, oh man, it was during. It was back when they had X Factor, New Mutants. Um, I'll, I'll come back to the title of that one. But Genosha was promised. Like it, they did a real great adaptation of this in the cartoon, where it was promised as this haven for mutants. Then when they willingly went over, they were shackled. They put the collars on, and they couldn't use their powers. And ultimately, they would help the the government and the nation of Genosha, like build itself. You know, like hey, since you have flaming abilities, you know, doing this that yeah. Well, there was also an environmental point of view of that. You know, if we have all these people that are not using fuel and resources to build this society. So like how we have today, you still have to have an energy source to do all that. So that's what they were showing that even though enslaving these people, they were able to do that which show they weren't. That's why Genosha was a paradise for everybody else. Right. Yeah. Well, you bring up a good point because it almost goes back to say Colossus. You know, when he first appeared, he's like, "Well, isn't my power that of the state?" So with him being super strong and having that skill set, doesn't that belong to Russia? You know, and so Genosha takes that idea, but they take it to an extreme. But that is the that supposedly is the Russian mentality. Oh, oh yeah, that that's your very, labor that's is. Well, yeah, it is. It is. You know that that. You know, this yeah. is my comrade here, yes. and 
we owe each other. My power is his power. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, exactly, but, uh, you know, it definitely, like, going into that state of mind, but with Genosha, when they took they that... Were they, slaves. Yeah, they were enslaved. Yeah, they were You know, they didn't you know. have the freedom to walk around. They had those and collars and, and all that stuff. And Magneto, fight out. Magneto found out, and ultimately he turned it into... He stopped that, didn't he? That's well, okay, here's the story. It was the Extinction Agenda, and it was really... It was, it was a huge story. Uh, uh, this was this was big. I mean, you had a lot of the... They were the, building Sentinels. Yeah, they, they were. They were mass-producing all these weapons of you know mass destruction for back then and, and harnessing the powers and becoming uh, a, a powerful enemy of every other state and obviously of the mutant kind. And so eventually, you know, through that story arc, they managed to knock out that government, really create change, and then, yeah, Magneto steps in by force, and I think that's the Fatal Attraction storyline. So that was the one that had the adamantium ripped out of Wolverine, where at that point, Magneto says, I will be the ruler of Genosha, and then it truly will be a mutant haven. You know, so that was some crazy stuff. Going back to the right. politics of and it, and that was like, try. Wow. That was try number one, and then Genosha is obliterated. Yeah, it with just the death of out. millions of mutants. That happens with uh, when the, the opening of Morrison. Morrison comes in, yeah, changing the status quo, right? Then after House of M and the majority of mutants are depowered, there's only about 198 mutants left on Earth. They are now an endangered species. Cyclops tries again, first by cohabitation by having yeah. to find a new area. San Francisco. They take San Francisco and they try to cohabitate, but Norman Osborn, who is now big man inside the Iron Patriot suit, he takes over the government and he fights the X-Men, but Cyclops has a plan, and they ultimately create Utopia, which yeah. is the remnant of Asteroid M that was in the ocean. And so now they make their own island nation of Utopia, which now has gone more towards separatist, Because now it's like, this is our place. Yeah, we're here. This is our sovereign nation. If you have a problem with that, tough. Yeah. And that's kind of where we're at there. But again, that ultimately failed as well. There was the schism between Cyclops and Wolverine. Some left Utopia, and then ultimately other things happened. So the X-Men have never had a good way of going. But this time, with Xavier and his, his nation of Krakoa, as he calls it, and now them having a bargaining chip, them being able to create these flowers, showcasing if you look at our nation as being a standard and, be, and understanding that we are a nation uh, giving us that credence, then we will give you these drugs. And you guys can use them in whatever way you want. And so, again, already there, already kind of changes the pace. Like, what is Xavier doing? Is this something Xavier would do? And for me, I, I feel like this is kind of like, it's, it's, it's weird, but it's different. But also at the same time, it's, it's, they've tried everything else. Well, it's interesting because it doesn't seem heroic. No. You know, because when, like, I wanna, I'm going I'm to gear this towards to Mike. You know, with Superman, if he found, you know, the cure for cancer, Superman would feel that it is indebted to share it with humanity. You know, meanwhile, Xavier found something close enough and he's like, well, if you side with me, then I'll let you have access to it. So it kind of puts him almost like a Lex Luthor. It's very yes. opportunistic and capitalistic. <laughs> well, bad capitalist. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 <laughs> There's a couple of names that I can think of in the pharmaceutical world that I'm not going to say. <laughs> well, and that's what I love, too. A great thing about when, when you stay with the X-Men comics. I love how they do. They take these stories. And they, they really do take what's going on in our in our world, and they, they do put it to the pages. Um, but yeah, I, I just have to say with that opening salvo of, of House of X, and I highly recommend, you know, you're not too far away. It was just out last week. There's two comics you need to read, House of X1, Powers of X1. It's just really good 
the way like what Hickman is doing. And this is nice because finally you have Marvel Comics itself is backing the X Men. Because as as, as as Ralph has dropped those names, you know, when Morrison launched his run on X Men, that's when we got the X Men movies. Um, when the schism was happening, that's when the Marvel Cinematic Universe was really taking shape, like Iron Man and Thor and those movies were coming. Then when AVX happened, that's when the Avengers movie had launched. You know, we're going to have phases three and, you know, or phase two and three of this movies. And people love this stuff. And they really did. They, they took the X-Men off the playing field because it was like, hey, Guardians of the Galaxy is going to make us more money than X-Men will. Which sounds weird, but it did. So then it was like, well, then let's take the Inhumans, which is a similar idea. But I think the thing is with the Inhumans... They've always been that family of royalty. I mean, you read an issue of the Fantastic Four, that's where you see them, and, you know, the King Blackbolt and, and Queen Medusa and all their royalty. So that's why we never really fell in with them like we did with the X-Men. And, um, and the thing is that the Inhumans have always been a, a sidebar. Yeah. They've, they, they've been part of a, another story, whether it's the X-Men or the Fantastic Four. Uh, they have not been a standalone thing. I mean, there was an attempt at a TV series that utterly bombed. Yes. I didn't. I didn't see any of it. I mean, it was so short. I mean, didn't have time to take a look at it. I don't know if it was any good, but everything I read about it panned. I just want to back up for a moment because I'm not up on uh, some of the uh, series. When we talk about uh, what Ralph, what you were talking about, uh, that whole narrative is that from House of M. Which one? Uh, where we're talking about uh, you know, uh, paradise or not paradise. Uh, what were you talking? Which X Men series was that? So the whole going down. So after House of M, yeah, which was all of the mutants get depowered, and there's okay. only about 198 of them left. Yeah, that was the then fallout. Yeah. There was a string of stories where Cyclops became the new de facto leader, and he's the one that ultimately created Utopia. And Utopia was their nation island, their second attempt, because before Magneto tried with both Avalon and Genosha. And in this case, Cyclops was the new leader, and he kind of kept that there. As far as giving them paradise, that wasn't until Age of X, or what was it? Um, oh, okay, when they finally had paradise, yeah, yes. that would be the Age of X-Man, or X-Man, the character himself, yeah. made it. Right. So that would be much later once Cyclops had been killed and then came back. So it's just been a long line of just them trying new things to cohabitate with people, to getting away from people, and none of it working. Now, something I'd be interested to ask you guys, I think this is kind of neat. For the longest time, it was the story of Xavier versus Magneto, their idealisms. Uh, then when we, when we do, when you have the fallout of House of M, it took the giant numbers of the mutants down to 198, and then eventually to those separatistic ways to the, the new utopia. And it finally, like the Marvel themselves even said, like, oh, we're tired of it being the story of Xavier and Magneto. So they decided to change it and have it be Cyclops and Wolverine pitting their ideologies against each other. Do you think that was a good character choice? Or do you think it should have stayed Xavier? Or would you have gone with two other mutant characters to have them be those figureheads of, you know, left or right or whatever? I mean, I, I would have stayed with Xavier and Magneto because with Wolverine and Cyclops, it was around Gene. Or <laughs> yeah. rogue, uh, one of the one of, one of the two. I mean, it was a, a psych a relationship cycle, as right. opposed to a larger societal uh, framework. So I guess if you're touchy feely, yeah, you go for the relationship stuff. I'm not touchy feely. Just to, you know, just a little bit, you know, just to humanize it. But as a rule, I want the world changing, galaxy shifting type of thing. 
and that's where you have the professor and Magneto who always think in grander terms. They never fall fall down with that. They're always looking at the big picture, and the bigger the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but people love a good love story. Hey, well. <laughs> This is our man opera. (laughs) I don't see it working as those two because Wolverine is not much of a thinker at all to begin with. I mean, he's too much emotion. He's the Hulk in this series, pretty much. Yeah. In every way, regeneration. He's just a Hulk. I like that. He's a slice first and not ask questions kind of guy. (laughs) I think it depends on the writer because, yes, he is is depicted like that a lot. And then some other times he is depicted of having more of that. That thoughtful. He's been around for so long, so he's learned so many things. Um, I just think of him like an astonishing X Men, where he kind of played that goofball uh, mm-hmm. figure, and then like thinking of more like during Schism when he had his own house, like his own school, and then kind of how he had to change gears now into Headmaster. Yeah. So there was always that that weirdness to it. I get that. Uh. So in that case, and I, you're right because I do remember Wolverine. Like he does get painted as a good tactician, and I agree he does have the brain when it's battle. But I don't think he has the, the brain when it comes to the bigger picture stuff. So, Mark, who, who would you then, who, what, if, if you, would you have stayed with Xavier and Magneto, or would you have tried to, say, take two different characters? I probably would have taken there? two different characters. I mean, I don't have anyone else. The, um, how is it? When, when Professor X wasn't around, Magneto actually is not that big of a, how should I, let me start over. Mike, when we go back to your original comment about Wolverine and Cyclops, two different things too much. Mm-hmm. You have Soldier. He is literally, Cyclops is, they really wrote a soldier. Yeah. Even though he's never in the military, he is literally a sniper. That's the whole thing with the beam eyes. Yeah. You know, they always call him Soldier Boy. He's always following orders. He, he's just a soldier. And then I know you're supposed to have this wild, crazy man that's always doing everything. So they don't work at all. Even There is no ideology there. Yeah. They're just, they're roles. Yeah, they're two different philosophies. No, not even philosophies, just personalities, yeah. 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 So I don't see either one of them capable of truly leading. One's definitely a follower, and the other one's just, you know, whatever. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you need better leaders if you want to re-arc a different story, because it is. They've been doing this since, what, the 60s? Yeah, 63. So we're 60 years with the same people. Yeah, but just like, in, I mean, just like in real life, you're not going to get the best leaders out there every time. And maybe... Yeah. Maybe that's what they're doing, or maybe that's what they did. I don't know. So I say, if you really wanted to come up with two new, you two new figureheads, two, two new leaders, it would be Cyclops and Jean. Like you'd pit them two against each other. Then you make it so that you make it so that <laughs> make it so that uh, uh, it, it, it's reminiscent of uh, the friendship that that Magneto and Xavier supposedly had before this whole thing happened. But now, instead of just a friendship, it's you know, it's a love relationship. The two of them were in love with each other. Now they're both coming at it two different ways, as in uh, Gene being dead for so long comes back to a world where, well, I know, I, I have a completely different perspective of how mutants should exist with us or even other humans, whereas Scott, who has had to live without her or, you know, go through all this other turmoil without her, has a different way of looking at how mutants should exist with humans. I like that idea. In one sense, it's where... If we kept Cyclops, it's, he kind of goes into the role of, yes, he was the soldier, and I like that, that analogy because it's perfect. And so now with Xavier gone, he would be the natural choice to kind of come up and like, okay, what would be Xavier's vision? But with everything that he saw, and then also with some of the events in Deadly Genesis, how he stopped trusting Xavier, he kind of went more towards that 
I gotta do whatever it takes to keep my pool alive. I like the idea of Jean being the second person if she was still alive or if she came back earlier, because then she could be the one that was still, you know, in love with Xavier's idea, kind of in tune with his dream. So that would be a very interesting dichotomy and a clash to kind of see where they would go from there. Well, it was exciting, and it's it's interesting. I would I would definitely I would point the two of you and suggest it to all read X Men Red. Tom Taylor, he's a great writer. Uh, he wrote uh, Injustice for DC Comics. He's done a ton of like he did the X twenty three as Wolverine comic book. He's a great guy. He gets great voices. And when they brought Jean Grey back from the dead, because she died in Morrison's book, I want to say I think they killed the character of Jean Grey off back in two thousand two. So imagine take your mindset from two thousand and two and wake it up into today's world what would you think and i love that he took that narrative because that could be a good driving force between them because ultimately when they did cyclops versus wolverine as the new figureheads the idea was child soldiers you know so cyclops is very much in in tune with saying yes any mutant who comes to the xavier institute or whatever you want to call it to the school i will train them how to use their powers in defense how to take care of themselves and all these things. And Wolverine was very much of the mindset saying, no, if these kids come to us, we will give them academics and we will teach them how to be people, but we are not going to teach them how to be child soldiers. Okay, when you put it like that, you know who would have been a better Wolverine for that? Who's that? Beast. Yes, exactly. Beast would have made sense. Yeah. Especially yeah, because as soon as you out. said he want, that, that he would want to give them academics, like, wait, are we talking about the same Wolverine here? Yeah. Well, Wolverine's been one of those characters that they've changed it because going back to before we started recording, you know, it was a joke uh, Rafa brought up where they were doing hashtag Danny DeVito as Wolverine. And we all, I imagine you guys remember when Wolverine was this short little guy who came up to your belt buckle. You know, he was hairier than hell. Yeah, had chomping a three down inch, a cigar. Yeah, exactly, three inch you know, cigar. And now, yeah. most people, pub. when they look at Wolverine, they're like, that's not Hugh Jackman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So, and I know Wolverine. some of my asking that question was my own ignorance, but I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're fine with that. Um, like, he's, he's, he's been changed. You know, it would be like if we took Frank Castle and we started saying, hey, let's have, let's draw more on his religious roots. And it's like... No, I think, if anything, the day his family was gunned down, so was Frank Castle. The Punisher lives. You Very know, true. Like, he wouldn't, like, if you put a cross in front of him, he would feel horrible because he knows he should have done better, but he can't bring himself to do it. And that's the beauty of the Punisher struggle. But Wolverine, you know, here's a guy who, you know, I'm the best there is at what I do, bub. You know, we've seen Wolverine exterminate people like crazy because one of the big splits was the fact that they revived X-Force. And Cyclops... You know, ordered the team together to come back and say, okay, we know Apocalypse is alive as a tiny young boy. I need you to take that team and do something about it. And so it's like, you know, what would you do if you could go back and kill Hitler in a crib? You Ooh, know, it's good. like, would you? Should you? Could you? You know, and so. Or did you make him? You know, yeah, you know, and that's a yeah. good question too. Because yeah, ultimately the they take Iron Apocalypse. Fist or yeah. a Fire Fist scenario. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you bring they him accidentally, in. Did they make him in the process of going back and changing? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like maybe it was our ideology that led to that. So, you know, can you blame him? Is he the person or is he the tool? And I think that's what's always been great about X-Men is that philosophy, you know, nature, nurture, and literally in those aspects, you know. Um, something I'd like to ask you, Mike, I know you're a big Superman fan. So when John Byrne, you know, a big-time illustrator, writer, when he left Marvel Comics to come over to DC Comics, I've always thought, I think he kind of, he kind of made Superman a mutant, not in terms of powers, but in the fact that Superman didn't get his powers till he was a teenager, when you read Man of Steel. Did you, did you like some of those things that he brought over to Superman from Marvel Comics' X-Men? Well, actually, that's not too, that's not too bad, uh, because in the 
original stories before John Byrne, uh, Superman was essentially Superman fully grown. Right. I mean, as as a baby. I mean, it, all the powers were there. Yeah, hundred percent. Everything. He figured out how to do it himself, and there was no angst. There was no problem at all. So the idea that his powers matured as he matured. No, I was I was good with that, mm-hmm. and the, the point that he had to learn how to control them. You know, not have his heat vision go through twenty walls. <laughs> you know, watch the watch the X ray vision. Yeah. And the strength. <laughs> Oh, that would have been an interesting series to watch. Uh, yes, yes, yes. What we would do with it now? <laughs> All these bad boys. <laughs> but um, no, I I uh, agreed with that with that approach um, to see his powers as a maturing factor, mm-hmm. and that's really been the the tone of the Superman movies when they start him uh, from boyhood on, basically picking up as a teenager. And he's still figuring himself out. He hasn't. He's not grow. He's not starting knowing his whole destiny and what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. Yeah. Uh, uh, although I will give, give a caveat, and that's the, uh, the 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 first Christopher Reeves uh, Superman, and which uh, with uh, uh, through Jonathan Kent, he does have a sense of what his destiny ought to be and where it ought to take him. It ought to take him to the larger world, to Metropolis, and that his role is somehow to save the world, to be a part of the whole world, and that he has the wherewithal to do it. There's no lack of confidence in his ability to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I, I really, I love that, and I love the fact because that makes me think. I, I know when they talk about Superman, they always call him the Boy Scout, and Cyclops often got that role. And I agree with you. I, I like that that analogy of the soldier, but I've always felt that he's the one who grew up with the dream. You know, Xavier did become his father figure, and I've always felt that he, like, if if there was a Superman of the Marvel Universe, it would be Cyclops. Now, I know you're like, well, wait a minute, what about Captain America? Mm-hmm. And you know, there's there's variations of it, but I've always felt that. That lifestyle, those two have shared very similar arcs. No, we were talking earlier about another animation coming out, and you have now put it in my mind. It's Superman Red Sun. That is what is going to yeah. uh, to come out, and that was a a, a great uh, one shot a few years ago when we when we had that. But going going back to our Superman, it was being raised on a farm that determined what kind of person he would be. And that's the juxtaposition when you have Superman growing up. And I don't recall the the details of the story, but let's say he grows up in Moscow. Yeah. It's a completely different way of life, completely different everything. Uh, 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 so we, we, we forget that our heroes, whether Superman or Batman or Wonder Woman, they begin as creatures or creations of their environment. That's what determines who they are and what they're going to be and what their mission to the world is going to be. It doesn't just happen uh, by accident or by just self-determination. There's a nature nurture that happens that sends them on their way. Mm-hmm. Now, something else I'd like to... I know I'm, I'm steering it towards Superman, but I wanted to pick some of these things. I noticed with publications. So what were your thoughts on Superboy, the Connor Kent version? Which decade are we talking about? So this would have been... He was one of the ones that, when the death of Superman happened, he yes. was the clone, the younger kid. Oh, so that, he was okay, like, yes. like mid-90s yes. to about I, okay, mid-2000s. Young, dashing, earring. Yeah, I, yeah I, I know that one now. I, I, 
it it fit the the death of Superman era, right? Uh, in terms of his his existence, I can't say I gave it a lot of thought, but it certainly was a departure from the farm boy, the small bill uh, farm boy image. Right, right. He's more of the urban uh, type, They're very cocky, very sure of himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, because the reason I bring him up yeah. was I found it interesting because going through rights, character rights, creator rights, company rights. Around, I want to say this, I think it was around whenever, it was right around Brandon Routh's Superman movie. And there were some issues with the rights, like the Siegel family, Schuster family, and DC Comics weren't, you know, having it. So Superman himself is DC, hands down. But all the other characters, the spinoffs, can still be managed through the family. So that's when they did, you know, Infinite Crisis happened. They killed off Superboy. They really stopped using the names. Even when they would talk about Superboy, they oh, Connor. So it was just interesting because there's another character that went through that kind of blacklisting, that shaming of himself because of a title due to company stuff, not creative. And it was just interesting. So I was curious if that, like, if you remember those days and you were kind of like, what did it do to you in terms of the overall story? Do you feel like it changed I, stuff? And- I didn't think it changed stuff. I thought it it fit in with the storyline that was put forward. I mean, it was a very unique storyline. We were being taken on a, on a unique journey mm-hmm. when it came to the whole death of Superman series. I mean, there were a number of things happening, and the whole question was, would Superman return? What would he be when he returned? Um, would he be what he used to be? Uh, would he have a different mindset, a different personality? And then you, 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 you have you know, Steel and, and Superboy and, and some of the others. Uh, so uh, it, was just, it was just an interesting uh, journey. That they went on, I, it didn't. It didn't interfere with my understanding of it, though. No. Well, I mean, ultimately, yeah. Luckily, the family and DC Comics worked it out, and Superboy's back again as a character in himself. So, you know, that's really exciting. Um, so, just to start wrapping up, I just wanted to see. I wanted to go around the table and find out who's everybody's um, favorite X-Man or mutant uh, in the Marvel Universe at the moment or of all time and then we can find out where they are as of right now in Hickman's House of M kind of state of world. Is it, or House of X, sorry. House of X, Powers of X, uh, state of world. So. 10, so Powers 10, sorry. Uh, so then, I mean, mine would be Beast. So where would you, where is he now, right now in that character? He hasn't shown up. Um, I'm assuming he's doing sciencey stuff. He's got to be part of the Krakoa team as far as maybe mass producing the Krakoa flowers. Because again, the flowers are what will the island of Krakoa, will nation, the nation of mutants be recognized with people accepting these pharmaceutical pills. Um, so that's what I'm assuming he's doing, but he, he should be around. Well, what'll be interesting is, so there's a big story between now until October, um, House of X, Powers of Ten, the two books will be interwined. And so this last San Diego Comic-Con, they revealed the event, as they're going to call it, Dawn of X. And so we see Beast. um, He will actually be on the, let me see if I find it here, the X-Force team. So X-Force is going to be interesting because the cover art that's solicited, it shows Jean Grey, Domino, um, Black Tom Cassidy, Beast, Wolverine, Colossus, Quentin Quarry, and another person, I can't make out who that one is, but they're, or Sage, sorry. And so they're going to be, be the CIA X-Men team. 
And what's going to be interesting is you're going to have the brain side of it, which Beast will be helming that, and then you'll have the fist side of it, which Wolverine will be helming on that one. So right now we haven't seen him in House of X. I don't believe we'll see him in Powers of Ten because the Powers of Ten book will be uh, 100 years into the future, so they'll kind of backpedal into each other. But yeah, once the dust settles, we'll see him there. Uh, let's see, for myself, I, I would say overall, I know Roth and I have talked about this a lot, Cyclops is my favorite X-Men. Um, I remember as a kid, my gateway into the X-Men was X-Men the Animated Series. And when I would turn that show on and to see a, you know, another person wearing glasses, that was huge, you know, because I started wearing glasses very young at second grade, and oh, I got ostracized. You know, I mean, it was it was just like that. I one day I was cool to play with, and next day now I'm every name in the book. And back then, teachers were like, "Hey, you stand up for yourself, or you don't." You know, so in the way it put that on me. Plus, my whole life I've been responsible, so it was like, man, I totally understand. You know, the the burden that this character bear, uh, carries, and it it just definitely stuck with me. So right now. He had about two or three pages in House of X. Um, I appreciated the way Hickman took it because, honestly, ever since, I would say, Grant Morrison's X-Men run, Cyclops has been put to the front of the X-Men books. It really is, you know, as I like to look at it, the Scott Summer story. And we've seen him, you know, lead the, like, I, I was talking with Ralph about this one time, and it's like, he's almost like Moses. You know, he's led his people. He doesn't necessarily get to see the promised land, but he's led his people through all the trials and tribulations that they've gone through. Uh, luckily, with you know the new writer and the new status quo taking over, Cyclops, he feels way more confident, which is what I want to see in the character. Um, so the adventure is going to be continuing there. But later on, once the dust settles um, in October, they're going to relaunch X-Men number one. Now, I'm excited for that book because, I mean, when you look at the cover, you have Vulcan and Havoc, who are the brothers of Cyclops. Young Cable and uh, Rachel Gray, who are the children of Cyclops, Jean Gray is there, and Christopher Summers, Corsair, is there. And then for some reason, they stuck Wolverine in. And they've even admitted it was more for sales. But I mean, this is a book where it's like, oh my God, it's the Summers family. We're finally going to get them together in a story. So I'm excited for that. Well, I'm going to go for Professor X. I've always, I mean, I, I bought uh, X-Men since the beginning. I think my, uh, my, original collection i think i may have x-men number five wow of you know bought when it was new although it doesn't quite look so new now i like off the spinner rack back in the day (laughs) yes um i i admire the leadership i admire the intellect the telekinesis uh the holding on to the big picture uh, how he's the center of the wheel to hold everyone together hold these difficult personalities together lest they fly apart. Um, so I, I admire Professor X and all of it. And for real, I mean, he's like the most outstanding part of this first issue. I mean, it starts with him uh, and kind of what some people are thinking is symbolic. He's kind of showcasing himself in, the, in this new helmet that looks very much like the maker from the Ultimate Universe. Yeah. Evil, fantastic uh, for Reed Richards. So it looks a little bit nefarious. But, I mean, it looks like he's growing. He's on X-Men. Kind of that whole idea. People talking about like, the whole Adam and Eve. That's Cyclops. That's Gene. And then you can also see Bobby in some of them. But the one that's hooded, yeah, that's the one with the helmet. That's Professor X in, in Phantom X's body. I don't think that's, like, symbolic. I think that is the beginning. I think Hickman's telling us a story. I think that is Xavier, and those are his pod people. And that's the Cyclops that you see in the story. Yeah. Well, you realize that blows away every image we've ever had of him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah he looks, but, well, he's like, definitely, cool. like, I, I would... I would I think yeah. pod people. Yeah, I would. There, there's definitely a lot of like 
clones. Basically, yeah. That's what I think the body snatchers, you know, it's like, are we really seeing the X-Men? Because when you read that House of X, like I was saying, they don't really seem that heroic just yet because, you know, they come through with the three pills and it's like, we'll give you access to this, but you need to subscribe and recognize us in a certain way as they're talking to the world. You know, then you have it later on in the book, um, Mystique, Toad, and Sabretooth break in and they're doing like some data theft. So they're stealing some databases or whatnot as they're running off the Fantastic Four, confront them, and Toad and Mystique manage to make an escape. The Fantastic Four capture Sabretooth. And when these mutants escape, they go through those same portals. So they obviously know that they're going to go to Krakoa. Cyclops steps out, and, you know, he has a great moment with the Fantastic Four. Like, hey, Ben, I heard you just got married, Mazel Tov. And, you know, you recognize that the relationships are there. But then all of a sudden, Cyclops is like, okay, well, I'll take Sabretooth and be on my way. And they're like, but he just committed a crime. He may have killed people. He may he definitely hurt people. We've got to put him to our justice. And then, you know, it, it gets real tense where it's like, well, the mutants, they have, you know, their freedom. So we're not stuck with human law. So what's going to happen? But then ultimately Cyclops lets it go. He's like, okay, go ahead and take him, you know, and, and they have another banter bit. But then he finally tells him, he says, hey, you know, this is the way it is. My whole family has always known war. And someday when it comes down to it, let Franklin Richards, the son of Sue and Reed, let him know that he has family waiting for him here. So it was real interesting. And it's like, yeah, the big theory is with them coming out of these pods, are they the X-Men we know? Or is there something more to it? And what I found really neat, I want to throw this, this out there real quick. Two things. In the back of the issue, or at least on the digital one, they have um, the like the, the actual script. And when Hickman writes in there, he puts this note in there that when Xavier is around people, he'll have his helmet on, like when he's around humans. But when he's around mutants, he won't have his helmet on. And when you read that issue, Xavier always has the helmet on. So I'm curious, was that just a change in script? Or is that not Xavier? You know, could it be something something else, something more? Who knows? I mean, it's too early to start, you know, crazy thoughts. And then one other thing that I did find interesting with those October solicits, there is no mention of Xavier. He's not in any of the art, and he's not brought up. So what will happen to him after House of X? So that'll be very interesting. So, Mike, I would definitely recommend this series. It's, uh, there's, this is the fate and the future of Charles Xavier is right there. And it has all kinds of amazing characters. How about you, Sam? Who's your favorite character? This is going to sound cliche, but I'm going to go with Logan. Logan? Honestly, because he's the man of constant sorrow. My exposure <laughs> to him has been mostly the movies. I will, I, I, will, I, will come, I will be right up front and share that with you guys. So I really don't know um, uh, enough of his uh, story in, in the comics, but he's, he's a man of tragedy. I mean, he's been yeah. around for so long. He's seen so much death. He's lost friends. He's lost family. Um, he never seems to get a break. Well, with that, I mean, he seems to be catching a break in this issue because you see him for a short amount of I'm time. I'm going to pay attention Playing with some, of the, with some of the kids. Like, there's a small yeah. mention of him. He's just having a good time. Whether that is him or not, we'll find out. I'm, I'm going to pick it up. Now, Who's something doing? I'd love to ask you, because we're, we're going to see that very soon here with the Joker. Do you like, because I remember, I remember Wolverine of the 80s, and I thought that was the coolest Wolverine. I remember those little trading card series, you know, or was, there were little, like little bits and pieces of his origin. You know, Marvel Comics presents that you'd have these great stories and, and whatnot. But we didn't know anything about the man named Logan. You knew nothing. You didn't know if no, Logan was a first name or a last name, nothing at all. Ever since the movies, obviously, with what was it, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, when that movie came out, you know, now we know James Howlett is his true name. And, and then they released um, 
origin just to make sure that they Marvel could still have more control. But do you think it would have been better to not have given him that origin, or do you like that part of the story? <laughs> uh, Sam actually God, walked man. away in disgust. I did. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> Say that. Ask me that question again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So with Wolverine, basically, now that they've told us his true origin... Do you like that, or do you wish that it had been a mystery, like the way it was? No, I well, obviously, to have things as a mystery is always cool because it, a lot of a lot of times it's it's what they don't reveal that makes a character so intriguing. But we live in a world where everybody wants to know everything. I mean, it's you, you can't live without that. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I, I I don't mind knowing. But if they would have kept it a secret, I don't think I would have been bothered by that either. Yeah, I, I could see that. And it's, I, I personally, I think they should never have revealed it. I, I love that, uh, that it, he doesn't it's, know. It's the MacGuffin if, if, in, in yeah. movies, you know. Yeah, well, and obviously they had to beat it because if they don't do it, then the movies are going to. Yeah. And, I mean, we see that, you know, like not to steer it, but, I mean, like with the Joker. You know, when that movie comes out, you know, Joker in the comic books is going to be different. They're going to be like, oh, you know, it goes back to like Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. You know, in the movie, they felt it wasn't a good idea to show him building the web shooters, so they made it an organic power. Okay, that's cool. That's great for the movies. But then what did the publishing company do? Boom, Spider-Man the other happens, and now he's got organic webbing and all that stuff. Now he's got spider powers. Right? For real this time. Yeah, for you know. real. <laughs> As it goes. Yeah. How about you? What's your favorite X-Men character? I just want to go back to what he was saying. I mean, everyone loves Logan. I was actually going to pick him before Sam stole the, the action, but I think it would have been a lot better just keeping it as unknown because it's always the unknown mystery is always a lot better than the known. It's like, oh, okay, we know now. But the unknown lets your minds think a little bit more. You fill in your own blanks. Could it be this? Could it be that? The unknown would always have been much better to be kept with. Now, did you ever read when they started peeling back some of the layers when they did Marvel Comics Presents, when they did that Weapon X story? Did you ever read that by chance? Parts of it. I caught parts uh -huh. of it from here and there. Even at, even let's go back to the cartoon. He did not have memories of that, and they did. Yeah. He had, when they brought it back, they brought it back that he was Weapon X, that he was trained to be this killer that had no memories, and that was working with Sabretooth. Also, another creature that was supposed to be a Weapon X. Yeah. Sorry. But that... Yeah, no, I used to love back in the day when the, even when there was the mystery that could Sabretooth be the father of Wolverine. I always thought that was interesting. You know, obviously they, they veered that. And I think, I don't know if it's full canon where they're brothers, but, you know, but I always thought I that would have been. I think that was probably more possible back then. They did that in the movie. Yeah, well, they did in the movie. I know that, but I don't know if they made it like full in canon in the comics. The Ultimate X Men made Sabretooth Wolverine's son. Yeah, but in Wolverine Origins, that miniseries, they were brothers. Yeah, in some instances, they can be brothers, sons. It's all in the family, right? Whatever we kind of, whatever. No, but then, no, sorry. Go ahead. Then you have the brother rivalry, and that explains a lot of their hatred of each other is through brother rivalry. Who's right. better? You know, I mean, the badger or the lion? You know, who is stronger? They're always constantly doing that. They always, so you don't know why they hate each other, but they do hate each other, and they reveal sm slowly in small parts of that. Besides Wolverine, did you have any other favorite characters? I was actually going to go with back with Magneto. I think Ooh. I had a lot more to say about Magneto as the hero. In his mind, he's the liberator. Yeah. You know, look what you did to my parents. 
look what you did to my people that now I'm associating with. You know it. So I'm to the point that I'm sick and tired. I'm the hero. You people are the villains. And maybe we are evolution. Maybe we are, unfortunately, supremacy over you. We are better than you. We're the next generation. We're what's going to survive if the planet goes to hell. And his mind, so I'm collecting my own people for not to dominate you, but for the human survival is what they're really not, sh is what they're trying to say. It's his own point of view of him being, that's why he got rid of Mystique when she becomes human again. You're not going to add to my genetic pool anymore. So there's someone else that can fill that role now. When she gets hit with the, um, yeah, the anti-mutant drug. The cure, yeah. NX3, right? Yeah, yeah X3. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. And I completely with you. Uh, whereas Cyclops is my favorite character, Magneto, to me, had the best moment in the comic, like you're talking about. I really recommend everybody pick it up because it ultimately ends with him being an ambassador, whereas Charles Xavier isn't around, uh, with uh, House of X, the new issue. Ultimately, what's happening is Magneto shows up. He is the ambassador to mutant kind, talking with a bunch of people who are thinking about Xavier's offer, taking the pharmaceuticals. So ultimately, what's happening here is Magneto ultimately talks to them and says, you know, we have you here in New Jerusalem talking to you about these things because ultimately you guys like all of this religious information. So we just want to let you all know that you have new gods now. And it ends with that last part, and it's amazing. Yeah, no, and, and, and looking at some of the stuff where the, the future of these characters are going to be, uh, looking at those solicits, we see Wolverine will be featured in the new X-Men book. Um, he'll also be part of the X-Force book that was mentioned earlier. And again, something that's interesting in these new solicits, we don't see Magneto featured. And again, will this story of House of X, Powers of Ten, will it remove Xavier and Magneto from the table? How will things change? Uh, I would definitely say, uh, like, Magneto... I would recommend reading that Age of X-Men Omega and even X-Men 22 because I think Magneto had some great moments where he's recognized that I'm not necessarily the face of the mutant people, nor should I be because, you know, the way people have viewed me in the past. But he really does have some great standout leadership moments, and he, he's, he's become more than he was, which I think is great for his character growth. He's had huge, huge potential there. Well, that's what prevents him being a straight villain. It's his yeah. own point of view. He is the villain, but he doesn't see it that way. He's trying to save his people. Yeah. So that's what makes him a better villain. Yeah, exactly. as the That's the best way to put it. Besides Magneto, another favorite character would have to be Emma Frost. Yeah. Emma Frost, unfortunately, was not in this issue with House of X. I thought it was her for a second because she's one of the people that brings in the people to talk to Magneto. But uh, that was one of the Stepford Cuckoos, which is fine. Also love those characters. So where Emma's at right now currently, I don't know. She's probably doing cool things. But regardless, once Dawn of X comes in, she is going to be part of the Marauders team, Yep. which is interesting. So, I mean, we're going to get more of of the, the White Queen, Black Queen, whatever you want to call her. But uh, diamonds don't break, so I'm excited. Yeah, so I mean, this October, there's definitely going to be, again, another renaissance for the X-Men. So you'll have books like X-Men, number one, Excalibur, number one, Marauders, as Rafa just mentioned, uh, The New Mutants, Fallen Angels, X-Force. Those titles will be revamped with all new number ones. A lot more creative teams on there. There's going to be more waves to come as it sees. So definitely, you know, keep up with these books. House of X, I think Rafa and I can definitely say that it, it, 10 out of 10, it was an amazing book. Go to your comic shop, 
you know, see if you can get one, get reorders, pick up the trade. The, there's going to be second printings, all kinds of stuff going on. It was fantastic. You know, so I would definitely say uh, if, you've, if you've fallen out with the X-Men, now's a great time to come back. It's exciting stuff. Yeah. So we're going to wrap this one up. So as we always do with our podcast, when we go to sign off, we, we like to say geek out. Okay, so I'll give us a three, two, one down count from that. So this has been Imagine If, as part of the Geek, uh, Geek Elite Media Network, and we always love to talk comic books at our local comic shop. Thank you, FanQuest, for hosting us today. So, gentlemen, if you'll join me, let's go ahead and sign off. As always, remember to geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. Ben, why should anybody listen to Blockbuster Mentality? I mean, seriously, why should any of these people that we've interrupted while they're listening to their favorite podcast check us out or even turn off this show and go straight to our show? That's a great question, Dave. People should listen to us because we point out the most important details of movies and television. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the really important stuff like Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru in Star Wars. What exactly are their living quarters underground? But it's not just that, Ben. We produce high quality audio that is exactly right Dave because we will have my daughter interrupt us on every single episode <laughs> and we have an amazing stars in popcorn rating system we measure on quality and entertainment value listen to blockbuster mentality every Monday on all major podcast platforms and connect with us on Twitter at blockbustercast. so grab some popcorn grab some snacks we'll catch you guys at the movies <laughs> <laughs>